We turn your Bibles, if you will, to Genesis chapter 1. I want to start a series tonight and, and uh, don't know how long we'll go. I never know how long my series is going to go. But uh, for the next several weeks anyway, I want to teach a series on uh, stories in Genesis. I, um, I have a special love for the book of Genesis. There's some things about the book of beginnings that, uh, that I think are uh, necessary, maybe even critical for us to know and understand to, uh, to gain a, um, an appropriate and a, a right knowledge of God and his character and his nature and the way he deals with mankind. Genesis chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, it says, In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. Well, what a way to start a book. In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. Now that presupposes several things. First of all, it denies atheism. It says there is a God. It declares as the truth there is a God. It denies materialism. Because it says there was a God before there was anything material. It shows the eternal nature of God. He was here before the the beginning of anything that we know or would recognize as existing. And it also does away with the idea that God is some impersonal cloud or some uh, untouchable being. Because an impersonal God uh, would not be able to create. It does away with the idea of pantheism, a a multiplicity or plurality of gods. It says, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Now, the word create means to make out of nothing. It means to make out of nothing. That's going to be important because it's going to, the words change later on in the, in the chapter. But in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Now, verse 2 says, And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. The word was is also, it means to, to make It means to be, it means to become, it means to come to pass. So you've got to look at the context of what's being spoken of to know which way to translate the verse. They translated it was as in a a state of existence in connection with verse 1. In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth and it was this way. But that can't be the case. And the reason that can't be the case is because Isaiah 45 verse 18 says... For thus saith the Lord that created the heavens, God himself that formed the earth and made it. He hath established it. He created it not in vain. He formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord and there is none else. Now this this word um, created it not in vain. The word vain is the same word that's used over in Genesis 1 verse 2. Where it's talking about without form and void. Now I'm going to apologize up front for butchering the Hebrew language. But the, the phrase that's translated form and without form and void means tohu vo bohu. And I have no idea if I'm saying that right. That's exactly the same phrase that's used in Isaiah 45, 18. He created it not tohu vo bohu or whatever I said. You get the point. Maybe messing it up makes the point better. I don't know. But anyway. God is saying, I didn't create it that way. Well, if he didn't create it that way, how did it become that way? It says very, very specifically in verse 2 that he created, verse 1, he created the heaven and the earth out of nothing. And then the state of existence beginning in verse 2 is that it was, a, it was a wasteland. It was chaos. It was a ruin. Wasteland is, uh, is the way some, tra- some translations uh, Translate this verse. Desert is the way other translations uh, identify it. It's not an uncommon term in the Hebrew language. 
You could use that for a, um, a teenager's room that's just clothes are thrown everywhere and everything's out of order. And it literally means that. It means without order or arrangement. And God's saying, I didn't make it that way. Well, what caused it to be that way? Well, there are certain things that we can uh, surmise or, or speculate on. But the best uh, information that, that we really have to go from certainly is from the Word of God itself. In Isaiah, let me get it. I've got my notes written down here. In Isaiah chapter 14, beginning in verse 11, it says, God speaking to the devil, and it says, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which did weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. They that see thee shall narrowly look upon thee and consider thee, saying, This is this the man that made the earth to tremble and that did shake kingdoms. Now verse 17, that made the world as a wilderness or a desert, an empty place. That made the world as a wilderness and destroyed the cities thereof that opened not the house of its prisoners. Now there's another passage of scripture over in Ezekiel chapter 28 that tells us something about the devil as well. Beginning in verse 12, it says, Son of man, take up a lamentation upon the king of Tyrus, and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord God, Thou sealest up the sum, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God, and every precious stone was thy covering, the sardis, topaz and diamond, the beryl and the onyx and the jasper and the sapphire, the emerald and the carbuncle and gold. The workmanship of thy tabrets and of thy pipes was prepared in thee in the day that thou was created. Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth, and I have set thee so. Thou wast upon the holy mountain of God. Thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones and the fire. Thou wast perfect in thy ways from the day that thou wast created till iniquity was found in thee. By the multitude of thy merchandise they have filled the midst of thee with violence, and thou hast sinned. Therefore I will cast thee as profane out of the mountain of God. I will destroy thee, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Thine heart was lifted up because of thy beauty. Thou hast corrupted thy wisdom by reason of thy brightness. I will cast thee to the ground. I will lay thee before kings that they may behold thee. Thou hast defiled thy sanctuaries by the multitude of thine iniquities, by the iniquity of thy traffic. Therefore will I bring forth a fire from the midst of thee. It shall devour thee, and I will bring thee to ashes upon the earth in the sight of all them that behold thee. All they that know thee among the people shall be astonished at thee. Thou shalt be a terror and never shalt thou be any more. Now, there's a lot of information about this that we could take time to look at. And I don't want to spend too much time on it, but I do want to make a couple of points. Notice in Ezekiel chapter 28, it says, Thou wast in Eden, the garden of God. Now, most everybody thinks of Eden as being what uh, God creates or literally recreates, remakes in the, uh, later on in the first chapter where he plants a garden in Eden and, and puts man in the middle of it and so forth. But notice what Satan is, uh, notice what his appearance is, or notice what his form is when God says in Ezekiel 28, thou wast in Eden, every precious stone was your covering. Well, that's not the way he appeared to Eve, is it? He wasn't the anointed cherub that covereth when he appeared to Eve, was he? 
Did you notice in Isaiah chapter uh, 14, in the verses that we read, it says, Satan said of himself, I will ascend my throne above the heavens. Well, that means he had a throne, doesn't it? And it had to be below the heavens. He said, I will ascend up into the stars. So it had to be below the stars. He said, I will be like the most high God, which means he wasn't. These were all his aspirations or his goals. These were the things that he was attempting to obtain. Well, when was he like that? When, would, when did he have a throne below the heavens? When was that? That's not in the, the, after the six days of creation, is it? Did you notice also, I think we pointed it out in verse 17 of Isaiah 14. It says, they that look on thee narrowly shall say, is this the one that made the world a wilderness? Now, that's not the same phrase without form and void that's used in Genesis 1, 2. And also used in Isaiah 45, 18. But it brings about the same thought. He made the world a wilderness. Well, is that what the devil's doing now? Is he making the world a wilderness? Now, don't get me wrong. If the church was taken away and he had free course and free reign to do whatever he wanted to, he would. But that's not what's happening now, is it? He can't be talking about the age of man. He's got to be talking about something previous to that. So whatever happened to change Genesis 1-1 into Genesis 1-2, the heavens and the earth that was created so that it became without form and void, a place of chaos, the best bet that we've got or the best way, the best speculation I know to utilize is what the Bible has hinted at talking about the fall of Satan. You remember in, in Luke chapter 10, I think it's verse 18 where uh, the 70 have come back and used the name of Jesus and they report Jesus and say, Master, even the devils are subject unto us in thy name. He says in verse 18, he said, I beheld Satan fall as lightning from heaven. Well, when? Is he saying, when you used my name, I, I saw Satan fall? No. He's talking about when God threw him out of heaven as he, told, as he said that he would do or said that he had done in Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28. He said, I was there. Jesus said, I was there to witness that. Well, how does lightning fall from heaven? Casually? Slowly, lightning bolts hit pretty fast. If you've ever had one hit close to you, you know what a shock it is and what a surprise it is. Well, that's what Jesus used to describe Satan's fall from heaven. Regardless, I believe that the, that the thing that made Genesis 1-2 a reality was the fall of Satan occurred between Genesis 1-1 and 1-2. But irrespective of that, if, if, if we're wrong in thinking that or, or speculating in that way, we do know that it had to be sin. We do know that the only thing that could destroy the plan of God, destroy the creation of God, the heavens and the earth that was created in verse 1, had to be sin. God said he didn't make it that way. So something, some type of sinful action, some type of sinful activity came on the scene and ruined God's plan. It had to be. It had to be. But now, folks, you need to understand something. This goes back to some of the ancient Jewish wisdom, or the teachings anyway. I believe it's wisdom, but it's up to you. You decide for yourself. The ancient rabbis said, and this was supposedly passed down from Moses, who was given this information, the first five books of the Bible, the books of Moses. And these things were translated by God. Well, that's not a good way to say it. They were dictated by God directly to Moses. Word for word. Now, the, the English translation is not necessarily so. It's close. 
But the Hebrew is a, a, a direct dictation from God to Moses. He told him exactly what to write. He wrote it exactly the way God spoke it. And in this, Moses came down and told the children of Israel and some of the, the teachers and the, the uh, uh, sons of Aaron and, and so forth, those that would become rabbis, the sons of Levi as well, according to tradition, according to the oral history, he told them a lot of things about what happened when he was up in the mountain of God that he didn't write. And it's some fascinating stuff. Now, I don't think you can put it on par with the, uh, the, the word of God, the written word of God, because it's, it's Moses relating information about God rather than God speaking directly to mankind. But one of the things that's passed down from generation to generation from the ancients, ancient rabbis, is that you can understand everything there is to know about God through the book of Genesis. The book of beginnings will tell you everything about God's plan, will tell you everything about God's dealing with mankind, and will tell you everything about his character and his nature. And you can see some things with how God makes the earth, and I use the word make in quotations, you can see some things about how God makes the earth after it has his original creation has been destroyed. Now think about this. We know that God makes the earth, the earth that we know of, in six days. We don't know what happened in the original creation of Genesis 1-1. We don't know if that was an overnight thing. We don't know if that was a quick event. We don't know if it took a long time. We don't, we don't know how God did it. He could have done it any way that he wanted to. All we know is that he created from nothing. From nothingness, he created material. He called it the heaven and the earth. But then, I believe, Satan comes on the scene, is cast out of heaven. Apparently, there was a period of time in that original creation where Satan did have a throne. He was a, a, in a position of ruling here on the earth. The, um, uh, the workmanship of thy tablets and thy pipes, as we read over in Ezekiel 28, is probably a reference to worship. He may have been the worship leader. I always watch out for worship leaders in a church. It's hard to do when you're married to her. <laughs> Nevertheless, we know that uh, from the things that, uh, that God said about Lucifer, that he had some position of authority that he lost. That could have been part of God's original creation. Now, there's another thing that you need to realize, too, and that is I'm... Uh, I think Christians give up way too easy on the, on the issues of science. See, and here's what I mean by that. It seems like most Christians are looking for science to prove the Bible. And that's impossible. If science comes up with something that's confirmed by the Bible, then that means they found out something that's true. But if science comes up with something that refutes what the Bible says, that just means they don't have the whole picture. Because if every geologist and every uh, idea that science has promoted about the earth and how old it is and how it works and what lived where and all this kind of stuff, every one of those theories, every one of those ideas will one day be shown to fit exactly with Genesis 1, 1 and 1, 2. Exactly. Instead of science taking the position that, well, we found that the earth is millions of years old. Well, okay, you may be right. How long was the period of time between Genesis 1, 1 and 1, 2? 
Maybe it was millions of years. That doesn't bother me. Yeah, but we found that there were prehistoric dinosaurs and, and animals and stuff. Well, that doesn't bother me either. Maybe there's a time where God thought that stuff looked good. I don't know. But that doesn't disprove the Bible. So many times Christians are looking for the world to confirm the truth of the word. And that's not the way it's supposed to work. I'm not bothered at all by scientific discoveries, so-called, that seem to discount the word of God, discount what we uh, see and know about the word. It just means we don't have the whole picture. But we will have the whole picture someday. Until then, the Bible's true. We may not have all the details. We may not ever get all the details until we get to heaven. But the Bible's true. Amen? So, along comes this chaos. The world is in ruin. Now, think about what happens. We know that the world started, the earth was created, both the heavens and the earth was created, but the chaos and the ruin was so complete that now there's no more heaven. God has to remake the heaven. There is no heaven anymore. It is so complete that the waters of judgment cover the earth that was perfectly made. God can't make anything except perfectly. And so whatever this, this world was, and where it talks about Satan, the one that destroyed cities, there must have been cities. He said himself that he didn't create it to be uninhabited. He didn't create it in vain without form and void. He intended to be inhabited. Now, I don't know what it was inhabited by or who. I know it wasn't man because when God comes along to make Adam and Eve, he says, let us make man in our own image. And the angels say, what is man? So whatever is happening for whatever period of time, maybe millions of years between Genesis 1, 1 and 1, 2, whatever inhabited was inhabiting the earth wasn't man. What does that mean? I don't know. Is that where the caveman comes in? I don't know. I can't see God making cavemen. But I can see God creating something that denigrated or degenerated under Satan's rule to the point where it could be like cavemen. The devil messes up everything he touches. At any rate, we know that the chaos was complete. Absolutely complete. And then the Bible says something that is of utmost importance. Verse 2 again. And the earth was or literally became without form and void. And darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And the spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Let me ask you a question. And, and let me get ahead of myself a little bit and just tell you this. I think the things that I say will make more sense if you see where I'm going. The remaking of the earth. The creation of the world as we know it mirrors God's plan for mankind because you know as well as I do there was a fall and man lost everything that he had gained by being placed in the garden of Eden and made in the image of God but you can see even as the Bible says the Bible says you can even see the Godhead in creation I think that means a lot of things I think it certainly means that we can look at, uh, at creation and the order of creation itself and say this couldn't have happened on its own so I think you can see God in that way. But I think it means something even more specific. I think it means you can see 
what God did in the creation of the world as a mirror or a type of what he does and has done for mankind. God redeemed the world. Now, by that, I'm not talking about the sacrifice of Jesus. I'm talking about he remade a world that was in total chaos. There was no hope for the world in Genesis 1-2. Everything was gone. The perfect creation, the pristine beauty of whatever God had made to begin with was gone. Darkness had replaced light. Had to be light if God created it, but the light had gone out. It's almost as if God deserted the earth once Satan was cast into it and Satan had free reign. And if that was the case, then the end result was the earth was without form and void. It became without form and void. But God didn't leave the earth alone. Now, he could have. He could have said, well, I had plans for that place. But those plans were aborted. Had to give up on that. I'll start over. But he didn't. He has plans, had plans for the earth to redeem the earth in the same way that he had plans to redeem mankind. So it says what happened first was the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. The Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Let me ask you a question. What hope did fallen earth have of returning to its former glory? None. What hope did fallen earth have of regaining a place of light and beauty? None. What hope does fallen man have of regaining anything of his former glory? As told to us by the, in the story of creation. None whatsoever. It takes a moving of God upon the waters. In other words, there was divine initiative. The Spirit of God moved upon the waters. What's the next thing that happened? Next thing that happened is, is verse 3, and God said, let there be light. First thing that happened was the Word of God came. Now, I want you to notice something, folks. The Spirit and the Word always work together. Light for the sinners, light for mankind is the Word of God applied by the Spirit of God. If there is no moving of the Spirit of God, even the Word of God itself will not find a home. But God said, let there be light, and there was light. And we know the Word of God is light unto the earth. So we see the Spirit of God, divine initiative, first of all. Secondly, we see the Word of God coming and producing light. Thirdly, it said... And God saw the light that it was good. There are seven times in this uh, story of creation that God speaks of something as being good or very good. There are ten times in this story of creation, the ten commandments of God, ten commandments of creation, where God said, let there be something. Seven times the word heaven is used, and 35 times the word God is used, God speaking of himself. Now, if you're into numerology, that's really significant. I'm not. But it's interesting that all these things line up exactly according to numbers that are supposed to mean something with God. So it says, God saw the light, that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. I want you to notice the next thing that happened is that God divided the light from the darkness. Now, what does this represent? Well, again, I'm going to get a little bit ahead of myself, but I want to point something out to you. And that is, when mankind fell... You remember the story about how God told Adam and Eve, Thou shalt, you can eat of every fruit of the tree of, of the garden. Everything that's out there is yours except this one. 
the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He said, for in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Now, he's talking about spiritual death. He wasn't talking about physical death. Some people, bless their hearts, you just have to shake your head at their ignorance. Some people, even Christians, will say the Bible can't be taken literally because God told Adam and Eve in the day that they eat of the fruit of the tree, forbidden fruit, that they would die. But they didn't die. They didn't die for 930 years. And you just have to shake your head. Think how stupid can somebody be? He's not talking about physical death. He's talking about spiritual death. He's talking about separation from God. Now at the fall something happened. And what happened at the fall was very simply this. Man's spirit stopped operating independently of his soul. When God created man in his own image. He had to have created his spirit to be the dominant force. But when man fell, his spirit stopped operating independently of his soul, his thinking, his his reasoning faculties. That was the way that Satan got in. We'll talk a little bit more about that later if we have time. But that was the way that Satan got in to cause man to fall to begin with. And so God had to do something to redeem mankind. God has to do something to bring his spirit back into a place of dominance or ascendancy. Hebrews 4.12 says the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, dividing asunder soul and spirit. The word of God is the only thing that can divide spirit from soul. So many times people's questions are, are related to this. Well, Pastor Mike, I can't tell if this is God or if this is me. You ever had that thought? What does that mean? That means I can't tell if it's God communicating with my spirit or if it's just my own thinking. What that means very simply is this. I'm not able to divide between spirit and soul. And the word of God is the only thing that can do that. Somebody once said that the spirit is the center on which you become God conscious. The soul is the headquarters of, uh, well, I'm ahead of myself. The body is the headquarters of sense consciousness and the soul is the the headquarters of of self-consciousness your spirit is where you're god conscious your soul is where you're self-conscious and your body is where you're sense conscious i like that i think that's true so god divided between spirit and soul now i'm going to read a verse of scripture to you from uh, jeremiah chapter 36 regarding the new birth i'm sorry it's ezekiel chapter 36 Ezekiel 36, verse 26, talking about the new birth, God said this. He said, And a new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. Taking away the stony heart is what God divided the light from the darkness. It's the same thing, or it corresponds to the Christian whose spirit has been recreated, or whose spirit has been made new by making Jesus the Lord of his life, but his soul is still in darkness because it's not renewed to the word. So the first action was God, and again, this is a picture of redemption. God divided the light from the darkness. Next thing it says in Ezekiel 36, verse 27, he says, And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you shall keep my judgments and do them. God divided the light from the darkness. That's taking the old stony heart away from mankind. But then the next thing that happens is it says... 
verse 6, Genesis 1, 6, And God said, Let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. And God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament, and it was so. And God called the firmament heaven. And the evening and the morning were the second day. Now, what this represents is, is again, it's the regeneration of mankind. It's the Spirit of God coming into your new spirit. I, I hate to do it this way, but, the, but, but for sake of understanding, I think it, uh, it's necessary for us to think like this. But let me, let me put a disclaimer on this to begin with. The Bible talks about several different steps in, in the new birth. Now, these happen instantaneously, so it's not like you can take a second and define this and take another second and define when that happened and another second and define where something else happened. But the Bible says that there are several things that happen when we're born again. It says God takes out the old heart, the old spirit. Now, how does he do that? How do you stay alive when God takes out the old spirit? The Bible says the body without the spirit is dead. It has to be an instantaneous thing. It says, number one, he takes out the old heart or the old spirit from you and then puts a new spirit on the inside of you. And then the third thing is he puts his spirit inside your new spirit. Now, he has to do that within, between breaths or else you'd die. Now, forgive me if I'm getting too technical on this stuff. I don't think it works technically. But like I said, for the sake of understanding, it's important to realize what God has done for us. At least it helps me. Well, this is identified where God divides the waters. He's taken out the old heart, the old spirit. He creates the heaven. He's putting a new spirit. And then the third thing he does is put his spirit on the inside of you. He joins his spirit together with yours. Now that brings us to the final step, which is the next thing God did in creation Verse 9, it says, And God said, Let the waters be under the heaven, under the heaven be gathered together in one place, and let the dry land appear, and it was so. And God called the dry land earth, and the gathering together of the waters he called seas, and God saw that it was good. And God said, Let the earth bring forth grass, the herb yielding seed, and the fruit yielding fr- the fruit yielding the fruit tree yielding fruit after his kind, whose seed is in itself upon the earth, and it was so. The next thing it speaks of is resurrection. Now, this doesn't mean resurrection like when Jesus comes and we're caught awake. I'm talking about resurrection as being resurrected under newness of life. Because the next thing God does, after the things that identify a new heart and a new spirit, and in his spirit on the inside of you, is that he brings the earth, he raises the earth up out of the water. He raises the earth up out of the water and clothes the earth with vegetation. In the same way, he raised you up you died with Christ and were risen together with him and he clothes you with the new man. He clothes you with righteousness. Now these were the first three days of creation. This is what happened in the first three days of creation and it shows exactly how God redeemed the earth to be a parallel to how God redeems mankind. Now let's talk real quickly about the fall of man. Oh, by the way, let me, uh, let me point out one scripture before I get away from this. Uh, let me point out something to you. Look with me to Exodus chapter 20 and verse 11. There's a lot of questions in people's mind about, you know, how long did it take? Was it literally six days and, and so forth? I want you to notice what God said 
when he gave Moses the Ten Commandments. He talks about working six days but resting on the Sabbath day. Verse 11, For in six days the Lord made heaven and the earth, the sea and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day, wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Did you notice where it says, For in six days the Lord made? That's not the word create. That's a totally different word that's used from Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. To create means to make something out of nothing. There was no material to work with. There was no material to use. God made something material out of nothing. Here in Exodus chapter 20, God is saying, I made. In other words, I took material that was already there. And I refashioned it and made it very good. Now, God said he did it in six days. Not six time periods, not six ages, not six millennia. God said he did it in six days. Now, every other time that God talks about doing things in, in a, uh, and uses the word day to define the period, he means morning and evening. So God said, and this is my word, not his. God said that he recreated the earth in six days, a six-day period. He made the cosmos out of chaos, which speaks of order, arrangement, and beauty. He made something beautiful, fruitful, and alive out of something that was totally dead, absent of light, absent any presence of any human form or any living form whatsoever. Now, folks, let me, let me point something out. I know I'm not going to get finished with this. Maybe I'll just save the fall until next time. But let me point something out to you. And this is something that the Lord really, really dealt with me about. I see some things that are going on in the earth. And it's easy to lose heart. I don't know what you've got your hope in. But it would be nice to have some, some hope in, in what's happening in the world. In my thinking. But I just don't find anything to hope in. I see scriptures like the, the, the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of his glory before Jesus comes back. And I think, wow, that's got to be true. Thank God that's true. But then I look at the state of the earth. I look at the complacency of man. I look at how disinterested or uninterested mankind is about God. And the Bible says that will only get worse and worse. And so I think, well, Lord... Jesus is waiting for the precious fruit of the earth. How in the world is the precious fruit of the earth going to come about among a race of people that really couldn't care less? I mean, they really couldn't care less. How in the world is that going to work? And the Lord showed me through this, through doing some of this study about where the Spirit of God moved on the face of the waters. You can't get a more desolate, a more ruinous condition than the earth. In verse chapter Genesis 1-2. You cannot get a, a, a worse condition. And the spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. All it took was the initiation of God. And the word of God brought life. And brought back into being. Something that was already desolate. And destroyed. It wasn't on the way to being destroyed. It was destroyed. But the spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Bible says in James 5, 7, Be patient, therefore, brethren, under the coming of the Lord. For behold, the husband waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth. Jesus is waiting to come back for the precious fruit of the earth. He's waiting for a harvest of people before he comes back.
And it goes on to say, and it has long patience for it until he received the early and the latter rain. In other words, he's waiting patiently until the Spirit of God moves again. Now, if the Spirit of God can move to recreate out of total ruin in a six-day period the most beautiful and pristine order of arrangement that we could possibly imagine that, the, that is this natural world, and even in his fallen state, this world is fascinating in the manner in which it was created. If God could do that in six days, how long do you think it's going to take him to reach the world with the knowledge of his glory? Folks, we're talking about a quick work. At least it's possible. Now, in my thinking, there will be a, a starting point for revival, and that revival will run an extended period of time and people will get born again and so forth. That may not be how it works. It could be a quick work where God has a flash revival that goes worldwide and in a matter of a week we're out of here. The very possibility of that should instill in us a desire to stay ready. And the Spirit of the Lord moved upon the face of the waters. Well, I'm sorry I didn't get any further in this than I did, but we'll pick up here next time to talk about the fall. There's some fascinating things in the book of Genesis. I hope this is interesting to you. It's something I sure enjoy. I always teach what I want to hear. Well, not always, but anyway. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the word. Thank you that you didn't give up on us. Didn't give up on the world. You didn't give up on fallen man. Thank you, Father, that you have sprinkled us with clean water. You've cleansed us, cleansed us from all of our filthiness and all of our idols, all of our impurities and all of our sin. You took the old heart, the stony heart out of our inner being and you put a new heart within us and then you put your spirit inside of us thank you father that you raised us up to walk with you in newness of life thank you that we've been made the righteousness of god in christ jesus thank you father that we've been restored not to the place that we had before the fall we've been restored to a better place where the spirit of god lives within us and never leaves us or forsakes us we're not just heirs of the Garden of Eden like Adam was. We're heirs of all things and joint heirs with Christ. Thank you, Father, that we've been raised and seated with Christ in heavenly places. Thank you so much, Father, that you didn't give up on us. Lord, we thank you for moving by the Spirit of God in these last days. Show us, Holy Spirit, how we can cooperate most effectively with you to be used to fulfill God's plan and purpose. We thank you, Father, that the glory of the Lord shall cover the earth as the waters covered the seas. Not like the waters of judgment covered the earth in Genesis 1-2, but the glory of the Lord shall cover the earth in even greater measure. We thank you that it's so, Father, because your word says so. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being with us.